This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. When our water heater broke down last month, it was a nightmare. It took five hours for the plumber to show up, and he charged us a couple of hundred bucks just to come out. Then it cost another $1,800 to put in the new water heater. By the time it was all said and done, I felt like I'd been taken. But what else could I do? The smartest thing you can do is get a home warranty from American Residential Warranty. Their home warranties pay to repair or replace all your major appliances when they break. And they will break. And at the worst possible time, call American Residential Warranty right now for free information on home warranties starting at just pennies a day. Don't wait for your refrigerator to stop running or your ceiling fans to stop turning. Call American Residential Warranty right now. Ask how you can save up to 50% on wash and dryer coverage. Just call 1-800-686-3910. That's 1-800-686-3910. Again, 1-800-686-3910. Call now. It is the Friday campaign edition and we be jamming on the Blaze Radio Network. It's the Jaily News, page one, Excelsior. Welcome back, best and brightest, my partners, my radio family. And uh, please help me understand why my uh, headphone is not working. Hold on one second. And let me see if this is the cause of the problem. It usually is. That wasn't it. Uh, Let's see what we've got here. Uh, Hold on. Sorry. Live radio, you know. Okay. See what we've got here. Mr. C. Bass, would you please speak to me? Yes, sir. Okay. Uh, I'll do this for now, and I'll change it in the break. Welcome, everybody. Uh, We be, as aforesaid, Jamin. I want to quickly run through. I did. I said quickly. I'd like to quickly run through some notes before they go away forever, which we didn't get to yesterday or the day before. They will help you enhance your perspective of where we are and as we head into tomorrow night two saturday night specials they used to be cheap guns now they are the blaze after dark saturday night specials tomorrow two count them two big national election specials one at 8 p.m 8 to 9 p.m eastern which is before the debate And then, you know the drill, the second commences immediately upon the termination of the debate. And uh, and we'll go to, I guess, midnight or, well, that's not my decision to make. But we'll be there. We hope you'll be here because we honestly believe and believe it can be demonstrated that we've got analysis and coverage that is... uh, entertaining, insightful, and unique here. And we work hard to do it. And all of you who join us as partners, we really appreciate it. 
if this is how we wish to spend our Saturday night, uh, you know, we have to, but we love to. You don't have to. So we love to when you're with us. All right, consider a few of these notes before the Republican debate tomorrow night and before we consider the dregs of the Democrat debate from last night. In less than a month, the Republican primaries start to become, not all of them, but most of them, winner-take-all primaries. Until then, they are proportional primaries. I've mentioned this before, but it's not enough to do it once or twice because this is everything. So if you win, you know, 10% of the vote, you win 10% of the delegates. In winner-take-all primaries, if you win, you win all the delegates, period. Nothing else matters. I mean, if, if Ted Cruz is, is uh, you know, finishes 100 votes behind Ted Cruz, you know, statistically tied, but behind him by 100 votes, Trump gets all the delegates, winner-take-all. When you consider that this is all about delegates, and again, I, I, I want to say, I, I uh, will say it was coincidence, as Ty said yesterday, but somehow several hours after we start talking about something on The Blaze, <clears throat> or it runs in theblaze.com, it starts showing up everywhere else. And I would uh, say this was one of them. Remember, this is all about delegates. It's all, it's all about the Benjamins. It's all about the delegates. What happens on, say, the Republican side? Remember this number. You need 1,237. 1,237. 1,237, Sunset Strip. Uh, 1,237, Sunset Strip. 1,237. That's how many delegates you need. If nobody gets 1,237 delegates by the end of the primaries, then the primaries never happened. Because if the Republicans convene and they do not have a first-round delegate winner, because delegates are bound to vote for the delegate to which they are bound only on the first ballot. And by the way, the party can suspend that if they want. These are not like laws. These are party rules. Just like we're going to make our primaries winner-take-all, or we're going to make them, make them proportional, or we're going to, you know, the heck with you. We're going to do whatever we want. We're not going to tell you. It's up to the parties to do this. If Donald Trump beats the snot out of everybody, as he might put it, if he beats the living snot out of everybody, between now and the end of the primaries, but does not beat sufficient snot out them that he doesn't end up with 1,237 votes. If he winds up with 1,236, then this is the wet dream of the Republican establishment, of the party, of the Bushes. Because if, if they arrive without someone having garnered 1,237 delegates, then the party gets to choose. That's it. And that means that Heb, Bush, as I mentioned on day one, as I mentioned probably a year ago, and a lot of days since, 
That's why it matters that Bush, the, the things that right now doesn't look like Bush, Bush has nothing going for him, right? Bush's name and Bush's money, and they are absolutely connected. His ability to just hang around. I said, did I say George again? Heb, Heb Bush. Heb Bush just needs to hang out. He can get beaten like a rented mule in every primary. He can have two delegates at the end of the primaries. But as long as he can keep his campaign going, he is playing against the House that Trump, nor Cruz, nor anybody else, will get 1,237 before the convention. Because if they go to that convention without a winner, Heb Bush is going to be the winner. That's the way it's going to work. That's the way it always work. That's what this is all about. That's what they mean when they say the fix is in. The fix is in. I mean, as nearly as the fix can be in, it is. All right. In South remember, 1237. Who gets it? Does someone get it? Or not on the Republican side? Uh, on the Democrat side, Hillary Clinton leads in Nevada by 20-plus points. Hillary leads in South Carolina, and she did nothing to hurt herself last night in the debate. Doesn't mean the numbers won't haven't changed, but uh, she's ahead in South Carolina by 20-plus points. Uh, Mrs. Clinton is up 74 to 17 with African Americans. There are no African Americans in New Hampshire, statistically. And so I, I apologize to any of my African American friends in New Hampshire for just having declared you don't exist. Uh, you, you do exist, in fact, but statistically you don't exist. There are black people in South Carolina. And as I mentioned, a 96% electorate I'm sorry, a 90, an electorate that was 96% white combined in Iowa and New Hampshire. The minute the polls closed in New Hampshire, the electorate for the Democrat candidates went from 95, 96% white to 44% non-white. Right. Want to call that a C bass? No. You want to call it a C change? Yeah, we can call that a C change. Uh, speaking of African-Americans, the Black Congressional Caucus endorsed Hillary yesterday in South Carolina. No, they didn't. Their political wing, their PAC, their political action committee endorsed her. And there were at least a few black legislators, congressmen, who said, hey, I'm not in- I didn't endorse her. I'm not endorsing her. Our political action committee endorsed her. Now, it might effectively mean the same thing. But we'll wait for newer polls because there's a lot of rumble out there that young blacks are not going for Hillary automatically. Oh, and speaking of race, probably for the last time today, not surely, but probably, Hillary Clinton won the white vote. Uh, You know, not that it was important or anything. I've just given you the stats. Hillary Clinton won the white vote in New Hampshire. She won it over Bernie Sanders. By one point. 
The Jay Severin Show. Only on the Blaze Radio Network. When our water heater broke down last month, it was a nightmare. It took five hours for the plumber to show up, and he charged us a couple of hundred bucks just to come out. Then it cost another $1,800 to put in the new water heater. By the time it was all said and done, I felt like I'd been taken. But what else could I do? The smartest thing you can do is get a home warranty from American Residential Warranty. Their home warranties pay to repair or replace all your major appliances when they break. And they will break. And at the worst possible time, call American Residential Warranty right now for free information on home warranties starting at just pennies a day. Don't wait for your refrigerator to stop running or your ceiling fans to stop turning. Call American Residential Warranty right now. Ask how you can save up to 50% on wash and dryer coverage. Just call 1-800-686-3910. That's 1-800-686-3910. Again, 1-800-686-3910. Call now. On the Blaze Radio Network, one 3393 Thanks for flying, Air J. Big debate tomorrow night, two specials here. 8 o'clock Eastern, and then at the immediate conclusion of the debate. Right now, a couple more notes, and I invite your calls, questions, complaints, uh, observations, other bon mot, as you may adjudge uh, contemporary additions and enhancements of the show. Uh Yes, we believe in enhancement here, surgical or radiological. It, you know. uh, let me see. Back to these uh, uh, dot, dot, dot notes I have. Just like the Republicans are on the cusp of going into winner-take-all primaries, the Democrat primaries, all of them, are proportional. Now, this means something frankly, more profound than the Republican Party. They're not only not the same, the two parties, the way they do business, I think this is profoundly different. The Democrats have only, and this is so typical, right, of the Democrat Party. They want to be fair to everybody, they say. So all of the primaries are proportional. That means... Hillary will probably never be able to shake Bernie Sanders, you busted, off her leg. If Bernie can hang in and hang out, if he can win 1% of the vote in each of the primaries, 1%. He's going to get 1% of the delegates. Now, that's not enough delegates to win. I'm just pointing out it's enough to keep him hanging around you know, hoping for a better result uh, next week. Now, the asterisk asterisk here, uh, other than Hillary's, is, uh, is the fact that it's a lie, the notion of we're being fair to everyone with proportional primaries. Because like the Republicans, the bosses of the Democrat Party 
have created and keep in their pocket superdelegates. So that whereas it is still possible to win for a candidate, to outright win a first ballot victory, they make it very tough. And they do have these superdelegates that they alone control. This would be Debbie Wasserman Schultz on paper. She controls them. In fact, the person with the most power will, will control them. Okay, former New York City Mayor Michael Bloomberg is definitely leaning toward an independent candidacy for president. I can tell you this because uh, I communicated today personally and directly with my, at this point, almost lifelong friend, uh, but my friend of 35 years, uh, Doug Schoen, who's the best pollster analyst in the world and works all over the world. Uh, He was the pollster for the Clintons uh, through thick and thin and campaigns and everything else. Uh, He is wired like nobody else, and he is brilliant like nobody else. And uh, Doug and I, as I have often said, uh, are as close as two heterosexual men can be. Uh, we shared season hockey tickets. So that's that's pretty much as close as you can be if you're not sleeping together. Um, and so uh, Doug, uh, Doug believes that if the mayor runs, he's got a chance. And if Doug Schoen says that, Take it to the bank. Not that he's absolutely going to run or that he's absolutely going to do anything, but if Doug says, you know, if Doug say, if Guru Doug say, uh, remember it. Uh, and don't, I advise you not to discount it. Uh, Rubio has started to attack in South Carolina now on foreign policy. He had a pretty good line about Trump. He said, Negotiating to put a golf course in Scotland is not exactly the kind of, is not what we're talking about when most people talk about crucial foreign policy experience for a commander in chief and a president of the United States to have. Yeah, putting in that golf course in Scotland is not exactly what we, you know, think of when we think of foreign policy experience. Uh, what he didn't say, and what I would advise him to say is to steal my line back from, I think, 1988, which reminds me, asterisk here, back in, I think it was 88, um, I don't remember in which publication I was quoted saying it, but I, I said something that I'd like to hear Rubio say about Bush, which is uh, Jeb Bush's foreign policy experience is limited to twice having breakfasted at the International House of Pancakes. <laughs> it's as funny now as it was then. Uh, uh, and, and the asterisk, asterisk is, I mentioned, I think yesterday, the Willie Horton story. I'm not, gonna, I'm not going to go into the story. I'm just going to give you the punchline. Anybody who knows the Willie Horton t- TV commercial, and it's probably the, the 
most famous or second most famous, depending on how old you are, it's you regarded as the most famous or second most famous negative political TV ad and certainly the most racialist television ad ever produced. Almost everyone who knows about it knows incorrectly or believes incorrectly that Roger Ailes produced it. He did not. Everyone believes that George Bush Sr. was the first one to bring up Willie Horton. And then his media consultant, Roger Ailes, made the spot. He did not. The first person, and the beauty of this is that it's, you can look it up. 60. The beauty of this is, here is the truth. The first person, the first time the world ever heard the name Willie Horton was in the 19, I think it was 88, but it was in the New York primary, the New York Democrat primary, when Al Gore, running for the Democrat nomination for president, brought up Willie Horton, using him to attack Michael, using him to attack Michael Dukakis. And then an independent political action committee, not associated with any candidate directly and lawfully, uh, produced the Willie Horton spot. It was not Roger Ailes. George Bush did not bring up Willie Horton for the first time or use him. Al Gore, you're looking for paternity? Even though they don't resemble each other that much, the father of Willie Horton politically is Al Gore. Jay Severin. Excelsior. The Blaze Radio Network. This is Jay Severin on the Blaze Radio Network. And you are my partners, one 888 All right, now we get into it. Now, my final note of my notes from yesterday, but which are still new, I wanted to pass this along because it's really a note from last night's Democrat debate. The new taxes that Bernie Sanders, let, let me backtrack, pardon me, withdraw and rephrase. It took from... George Washington to George Bush II to build up a national debt of, I think, $9 trillion. It took Barack Obama about four years to double it and more. We're about to hit $21 trillion. Bearing in mind it took from George Washington to George Bush II to get to nine. And we got to nine, from nine to 21 under Obama. These are, you know, roughly the numbers. But who's counting? Trillion here, trillion there. Does it really matter at that point? Bernie Sanders, now we rejoin. Bernie Sanders' new taxes proposed. That is to say, the new growth of government and programs and taxes required to pay for what Bernie Sanders is proposing would cost just right off the bat, day one, would cost 
18 to 20 trillion dollars. It would turn us into Venezuela. It would it, it would bankrupt us immediately. Now, $20 trillion in new taxes is supportable only by a marginal tax rate for most Americans of 75%. Whatever you make, however you make it, 75%. That's your paycheck. 75% would be taken by the government right off the top of the gross. 75%. And I understand he's thinking about a. These would include uh, a, a, just a truckload of new, onerous, unbelievably crippling taxes. One of which would be an eight point two percent. This is on top of what I've just told you. This would also include, in addition to income taxes, averaging seventy five percent. It would also mean an eight point two percent payroll tax. So every week when you got paid, in addition to paying 75% or more in income taxes out of that check, you would also lose, before you ever spent a nickel, 8.2, almost 10% more in a payroll, new payroll tax. Not to mention that he wants single-payer, Soviet-style health care, single-payer government health care which dwarfs the audacity and dysfunctionality of Obamacare. It's incredibly more expensive, less effective. People will die in the emergency room by the tens of thousands. And by the way, there aren't going to be any doctors. You're not going to get an appointment because there aren't going to be any doctors. And the doctors we have will be this close to being... Either your doctor or, you know, a radio talk show host. Imagine the quality of doctors you're going to get. I couldn't think, I didn't want to demean anyone else's occupation, so I chose my own. But you know the kind of, when when doctors max out, you know, in, in, in uh, medical care is free in Cuba. By federal law in Cuba, a doctor may earn gross no more than $40,000 per year. That's the thing they don't tell you. And, and, and you might say, well, if I'm not a doctor in Cuba, why does that matter to me? It doesn't unless you're a patient in Cuba. Because imagine the quality of doctor you get if the maximum you can ever make gross is $40,000 before taxes. That's what's going to happen in the United States if you elect a Democrat. The kinds of doctors you will get, and you'll get darned few of them, but the ones you do get will be guys who say, hey, this is a great deal. This is more than I could have gotten doing anything else. This is commensurate with my IQ and talent level. 40000 good deal. Sure, I'll operate on your baby's eye, and then they'll you know, cut off your baby's ear. All right, here we go. Finally. Ding, ding, ding. New poll numbers. We've been waiting. Some new poll numbers from South Carolina. Hot off the presses. Conducted by uh, local 
newspaper and television station. So we have no idea as to the authenticity, reliability of these numbers, though they're probably, well, do you know what they are? It's like the Cars song, You're All I've Got Tonight. Well, this is put the beer goggles on and it's 3 a.m. and you have to choose. And so, you know, if you're a guy, you just you just drank 30 pounds off that girl down at the end of the bar. And it's it's closing time, time to make a choice. Well, this is the kind of choice you've got. You've got Hobson's choice here. You, I'm giving you the choice of this new poll or flipping a coin because there this is the only poll there is that's newer than three weeks old. And here it is. Donald Trump, 36. This is South Carolina only, Republicans only. Number one, Trump, 36. Number two, Ted Cruz, 20. Number three, Heb Bush with 11. There's a drop-off. Trump, Cruz, Bush, 36% to 20% to 11%. Uh, Fourth is Kasich with 9%. Fifth is Rubio, Rubio with... No, sorry. Sorry, 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 sorry. Man, I screwed this up because I had to... Let me do this again. First, Trump with 36 Second, Cruz with 20. Third, Rubio with 15. Fourth, K, uh, Bush with 11. Fifth, Kasich with 9. Sixth, Dr. Carson. Dr. Carson. Dr. Carson, could you wake up, please? Uh, sixth, Dr. Carson with 5. So again, ascending the ladder this time, Carson with five, Kasich with nine, Bush with 11, Rubio with 15, Ted Cruz with 20, Donald Trump with 36. Uh, More than 50%, greater than 50% of all respondents in the poll uh, said to be representative of South Carolina voters said they were evangelical slash born-again Christians. Ted Cruz does very well with them. Donald Trump has been doing almost as well. Dr. Carson does pretty well with them, which means, again, though there's been some consolidation of candidates here, as long as you've got Dr. Carson... In taking away those evangelical votes, he's really depriving us of knowing who wins the evangelical. Who's the favorite of evangelical voters? Is it Donald Trump or Ted Cruz? Well, we don't know because we have other people in there who get a little bit of it. And Carson will probably get a lot of it in South Carolina. Also, we have a little bit of consolidation with regard to six candidates on the stage tomorrow night. For how long? I mean, I you know, I mean, I we have to expect that South Carolina will narrow the field as well. Uh, I don't know what to tell you about the Democrat debate last night, other than it again suggested to me that 
it was a broadcast intended for the inhabitants of another planet. I mean, everything they said was wrong or vomit-inducing. And they, they, their, their facts were not facts. Their policies and programs and promises were all communistic. Also, if you do the maths on this, it, uh, it, you know, va, it doesn't go. It doesn't add up. But mostly, if you watch the Democrat debate, you were either repelled by the following conclusion or attracted by it. And it's this. Almost all Americans have been screwed. They've been cheated out of their rightful stuff by rich white people with privilege and who live on Wall Street. And they've all taken everything and there's no one left for anybody else. And the purpose of the American government is to punish those people, take away their ill-gotten gains, and give them to you. Jay Severin, the Blaze Radio Network. This is the Jay Severin Show on the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome back. Daniel from Florida, welcome. Hey, Jay. Uh, thanks for having me on. Pleasure. Oh, did you hear what Debbie Wasserman Schultz said about uh, sup- the point of the superdelegates being to prevent an insurgent candidate? I didn't hear her. Well, no, I didn't hear her, and I didn't know she said that. I, I did hear a report that she said, well, we need to do the superdelegates to make it fair because, you know, Iowa and New Hampshire are all white, so they're not representative, so they're not fair. But, no, I didn't, I didn't hear her tell the truth. I've never heard her tell the truth before. Inside, you know, inside that explanation, the part that people just seem to have missed was where she quickly said, right up in front, is, you know, the, to prevent an insurgent candidate. And then went into all that other stuff. It was like, whoop, right through. Yeah. So I'm listening, and that was the thing I keyed in on, even though what people talked about was exactly what you just said. Well, it's profound. I mean, uh, it's it's profound in terms of an experience. It's, you know, what they call a gaffe in Washington, which is when a politician uh, is guilty of having uttered, mistakenly uttered the truth for a moment. Uh, and, and that's what, what that is. But beyond that, the substance of it, as you're suggesting, Daniel, is tremendously profound because she admitted to what this is all about, is that, no, we pick the candidate. The party pick, picks the candidate. Yeah, I mean, it seems, uh, I mean, I'm no Democrat. I do uh, pay close attention to all sides of politics because it matters. Um, Evidently, you if do. I were, if I were a Democrat, I would feel horrendously cheated right now, knowing that. And not terribly motivated, I'll bet. 
Uh, actually, if I were a Democrat, I'd probably be more motivated and try to mobilize enough people to overcome the superdelegates than make her eat those words. But, you know, I'm good kind of a you. feisty good, guy. Good for you. Good for you. That's exactly the right response to have. I just wonder whether, you know, I think you're exceptional in that. I don't think a lot of people would do that. I think a lot of people would hear that and sort of be the equivalent of when Jimmy Carter conceded the race formally. You're probably not old enough to remember this. But when uh, when Ronald Reagan beat Jimmy Carter, Jimmy Carter came on television in the Eastern Time Zone with, I think, two hours still to go with the California polls open and other 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 Pacific Time Zone states. Their polls were open for another couple hours, and he conceded the race. And immediately, and there are, there's video of this. Immediately. All of the lines outside of all of the polling places evaporated, Daniel. <laughs> everyone went everyone went home uh, and because Jimmy Carter, you know, smart in some ways, I guess, but sort of like a forest gump, he wasn't very smart politically because he didn't realize that whereas he had lost, there was still time for all of the down ballot candidates in his party. Governors, senators, you know, congressmen, mayors, they still had a chance to maybe win. But all the voters said, oh, well, crap, I'm going to get a beer. Yeah, not too smart of them. But no, you are right. I am a, I'm a little too young to remember that election. The first one I remember was uh, when my mom took me to the polls in 1984 in California to help reelect Ronald Reagan. Uh, excellent. Well, here's another thing about Carter, and it's the most important thing to remember about him well and truly. The single most important footnote that Jimmy Carter has in history. He was the first American president who was born in a hospital. Hello? No. Yeah. It's a trivial pursuit. It's an original trivial pursuit question and answer. Name first American president to be born in a hospital. Jimmy Carter. Oh, that is definitely some obscure trivia right there. Uh, (laughs) Daniel, thank you so much. Congratulations for you, uh, to you for sticking by this and having that attitude, your feisty attitude and reporting uh, news here that I didn't know. Debbie was a man. Schultz told the truth. Jay Severin. On the Blaze Radio Network. We are in the thick of it. In fact, it's totally thick. I don't just don't know if you knew I lift. It's totally thick. Excelsior. Welcome back. As my old friend Bob Grant, known to uh, some of you, used to say, it's thick out there and getting thicker. Excelsior. We are the Blaze Radio Network. 
one 888 We are on the eve of the next, and I, I'm not sure, but I think the only debate between now and the South Carolina primary next week. Either way, it's tremendously important, at least potentially, of tremendous importance. And we have two Saturday night specials. And we're going to turn them in to the police as soon as the show is over. No, uh, uh, now Saturday night specials are not cheap firearms. They are specially produced shows by the Blaze Radio Network, starring you and Skip and Doc and me, and uh, and sometimes a surprise guest, you know, escapees who happen to be passing by and looking for shelter. Tomorrow, count them, two big special Blaze After Dark debate shows first one is at eight o'clock eastern time second one upon the conclusion of the debate so we we spend our saturday nights so we can spend them with you and we know most of you are laughing out loud but but those of you who are not will expect to see you here now tomorrow night there will be six people on the stage and those six people will reflect the two campaigns that are happening right now in South Carolina on the Republican side operating simultaneously in parallel universes and the two campaigns on the Republican side are Trump versus Cruz or, well, I'll leave it like that. Trump versus Cruz, and uh, probably more precisely, Cruz versus Trump. But Donald Trump is number one and seems to solidly remain number one for the moment. So Ted Cruz knows at some point, you know, he's, he's got to beat him. And it doesn't have to be tomorrow. But Ted Cruz also knows, I'm sorry, tomorrow's the debate, not the election, not the primary, but within a few days. You know, Ted knows he's got to start beating him at some point, and it doesn't have to be South Carolina, but it wouldn't hurt. In any case, the one dynamic you've got is the first parallel universe, and that's Cruz-Trump, Trump-Cruz. The second parallel universe is the desperate, bloody, and it's both. And uh, you may not see yet desperation or blood. You're about to. There is going to be a desperate, bloody fight between Rubio, Bush, and I, I guess you have to add Kasich and even Carson. But I... I, I I think Carson is not long for this political immediate world, nor do I think is Kasich. Ultimately, out of respect to them, I mention all four. But what we're really looking at tomorrow night, I think, I believe, what we're looking at tomorrow night, what we'll be talking about tomorrow night and after tomorrow night, what we're looking at in the South Carolina primary are two two-man primaries within the primary. It's the Trump-Cruz primary, 
and the Rubio-Bush primary. Rubio is coming off a debate which, whether or not it's true, has now become the conventional wisdom that, well, as we say in politics, he sucked. Now, I don't, I mean, he wasn't good. But he wasn't really that terrible. But once it gets rolling, once the media adopts a line, you know, it's like it's like gang violence. I mean, every, you know, every that's it, man. Once it's on a roll. So everybody jumps to the same conventional, almost everybody in the media jumps to the same conventional wisdom. And so uh, it is the CV that Rubio was so awful. Not only was he awful in the debate, he was so awful in the debate that it cost him New Hampshire. And it, and it damaged his candidacy beyond New Hampshire. Again, this is the conventional wisdom. And in keeping with that conventional wisdom, it is said that the single person with the most on the line tomorrow night is Marco Rubio. Tomorrow night's debate, and this is tough because, look, a vote is a vote. You've got your supporters or you ain't. But to get up there on a stage, you know, in front of cameras and an audience and the world as you know it and care about it, you know, knowing that it's like if you were a hockey player or a singer or, a, you know, any other kind of performer in some other form of show business, and you just stunk the place out in your last game, and you know everyone there, everyone in the arena is waiting to see when you touch the ball or you get up at bat or you touch the puck whether you're going to screw the pooch again, you know. And so there's a lot of pressure. And it's a hard thing to, to be... How do you prove that you did better in a debate? I guess it's just one of those things that people sense, right? Because tomorrow night, we will be together and we will be saying at uh, sometime around uh, 11 o'clock, we'll be right here together and we'll be saying, well, did Rubio do better? And you will have the sense that he did or you won't. And then quickly we'll develop the media line. And you know by midnight, everyone in television will be saying, and in radio will be saying, here's the deal. You know, Rubio redeemed himself, but not enough. Rubio completely redeemed himself. Rubio fell flat on his face again. Candidacy in question. You know, campaign in question. And more possibilities. But the most interesting thing to know is that we're really looking at, at two separate fights within the fight. Trump Cruz and Rubio Bush, in, in my estimation. Again, Bush has to hold on and hope that Trump or nor anyone else can get to the magic delegate mark of how many? That's right, 1237. Because then he's a dead duck. If no one can get 1237, then Heb can finally enjoy the fruits of someone else's labor, of his ancestors' labors, and he can be appointed the Republican nominee by the Republican Party at the convention, 
which will almost certainly happen. Now, it's not that the convention, if they get the chance to, will appoint Bush. It's that they will appoint an establishment rhino that they know they can control and who sees the world the way they see it. So everyone keeps their jobs. No no government agencies are actually eliminated. No taxes are actually cut. No spending is actually cut. Politicians still essentially have the same amount of money that they take from you and use it to buy votes with. And there'll still be another book by some senator next year about how it cost you $4.8 million to study the sex habit of 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 wombats depending on how many hours they're put on a treadmill each day and whether or not they're blindfolded uh, i i don't know you know have you ever seen wombats i think the blindfolds would probably make a difference this is jay severin, severin. on the blaze radio network On the Blaze Radio Network. On the Blaze Radio Network. Uh, Partners, you know, there are a number of cross currents in this thing. Obviously, there's so much more to everything in life than meets the eye. And certainly including politics. What this is tomorrow night, like all other debates, past and future, is performance art. I mean, for openers, it ain't a debate. These are like simultaneously presented live joint press availabilities. They're not really debates. I debated in school. You may have. Debates are a different thing. But this is what, this is it. This is what passes, you know. Neither neither is a Hyundai a car, but uh, that's what the Department of Motor Vehicles says it is. So, uh they're not debates, but they're what pass for debates. And in debates, I mean, debates of this kind, it's performance art. And there are many skills and many rules and many do's and many don'ts. And sometimes the rules change from state to state. It's a weird thing. It's kind of like broadcasting on the radio for a living, where one day certain things are okay to say, and literally the next day they're not. You're a quarterback, you, you know, you... You walk up to the line, you you check the defensive scheme, and then you look up at the clock for uh, half a second to see what's on the play clock. You look back down and everything's changed. They 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 came out and repainted the lines on the field. You know that some businesses are like that. Politics is like that. Debates are like that. It's performance art, and so too are the standards by which we judge success and failure good performance bad performance you know debates would be judged on a point system and accuracy of facts and all these other things uh these debates could be judged on imagine if rubio came out and had a peach piece of lettuce stuck between his two front teeth 
And that's it. No one would hear anything he said, and everyone would be be calling their friends. Look, look, turn on Channel Four right now. Look, look, this guy has no front teeth. Look at him. All the video would show. Look, look, he looks like Alfalfa from the Little Rascals. You know, you don't know. You don't know. Could have a pimple. You could, you know, have five o'clock shadow. Nixon. They say Nixon lost the Nixon-Kennedy debates because he was perspiring uh, visibly and because he hadn't uh, shaved just before the debate. It's, 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 you know, it's televised theater. Anyway, that is to say there are many cross-currents that make up and, and, and judge a thing like this. One of them is, is working in Trump's favor. Because I said to you last week, and I'm, you know, I'm not suggesting this is an original question, not this one anyway. I said, can you imagine the debates without Donald Trump? And it had to do with the fact, remember, Trump skipped a debate. Maybe we talked about it the week before last when when Trump threatened, you know, every now and again, Trump threatens to skip a debate. And once he did. And the viewership did go down. Markedly. And that's because. Whatever else Trump means to this campaign in the end, there's one thing he already has meant. <clears throat> so many more people are paying so much more attention to this presidential campaign on the Republican side and, and thus on the Democrat side. More people will know more about more things sooner and more passionately than maybe going back 150, 200 years in a presidential campaign because of Donald Trump. Donald Trump has sparked. Now, look, I, I you know, I, I'm not, this is not like a closet. I'm not, this is not the sudden expression of some closet support for Donald Trump. If, if the elephant man were still alive and you put him in the debates, be the same thing. I'm just saying that the entertainment quotient the circus factor, the P.T. Barnum factor, has made this into a campaign that way more people are paying way more attention to than any time in our lifetimes because there is an entertainment quotient. And that entertainment quotient is not Donald Trump alone, but it's driven by Donald Trump. It's, it's like a wheel, a bicycle wheel. Donald Trump is the hub and all the spokes that emanate from it the spoke emanates out, touches Cruz, touches Rubio, touches Bush. You know, he's at the center of it all. Can you imagine the debates without Trump? All right. I'm not saying this is like a, you know, a, a top five factor or anything. I'm just saying it's a factor. Likewise, Sebastian just said, may I share this, Sebastian? Please. Sebastian just uh, opined, observed. Gee, you know, I wonder what it's going to be like without Christie on the stage. And I think that's a really good observation because surely to a much lesser degree, but to a discernible degree, Chris Christie did add entertainment quotient. He added energy quotient. He added zip, flavor, zest, a certain je ne sais quoi, 
to the debate, which, in his absence, will be at least a little bit, I don't know if very discernibly, but I think maybe so, will be a little less entertaining. Because that's he had that kind of outsized personality. I mean, let's face it, no matter how much you like him, if Dr. Carson were not at a debate, not only would he not know it, you wouldn't know it. You know, if John Kasich were not there, he'd know it. He'd complain long and loud, but you wouldn't know it. Neither would I. Certain people are conspicuous by their absence. And Christie is one of those, I think. And Sebastian makes a good point. Now, it will I don't know, does this lead to a... Uh, you know, buyers or sellers remorse here. Well, I'm not suggesting people are going to say, hey, you know, I really miss Chris Christie because I they don't watch it closely enough or care that much about it, I think, that they would, you know, kind of figure out that, like, like, am I missing something and what and why that is? But it's an interesting point. And as we go along, it does have, it is a little bit of a cross-current that can affect people's candidacies. Like, no, no, I don't want him to be out yet. And and don't kid yourself. People are voted in to stay in the race longer than they would otherwise be because voters of certain states say, I don't want this to be over yet. And often when it gets down to a two-man race, the underdog starts to do better because people just say, I don't want this, I don't want this to be over yet. Or maybe just, I don't want this conclusion, you know, the way it is right now. But it's a, it's, you know, it's a factor. It's some kind of factor. And so what, what I'm really looking forward to is whether they go outside the lines tomorrow night. Because again, I don't think I'm wrong. I could stop right there. I don't think I'm wrong about this being a two-dimensional event tomorrow night. You got two two puppet shows going on at once. Trump against Cruz and Bush against Rubio. That's that's the where the real fight is. What will be interesting is who among those four feel they they need to often step outside the lines and go after somebody in the other dimension. The Cruz feels he needs to attack Bush, or Bush feels he needs to attack Trump. Huh? Huh? Jay on the Blaze Radio Network. The Jay Severin Show. On the Blaze Radio Network. We have a senior partner uh, on the phone. Rocky, welcome back, my good friend. Thank you, Jay, my friend. Hey, um, I have a question for you right up front. Um, We've been talking about, you know, uh, delegates and superdelegates. Is this something that has evolved over time? Or has it always been this way? The whole superdelegate delegate thing seems really sketchy to me well the process sorry that's the wrong word 
The, no, I'll use that. The overall process, not meaning superdelegates, but meaning right. some mechanism whereby the party maintains control uh, right. pretty much to the nth degree over the nominating process. In whatever form, Rock, it has taken, it has always been there. Uh, one of yeah, the things that's-, that's sort of most off-putting about this current form was that this mostly is the product of like the 70s when there was this big yearning for transparent politics. Get the money out of politics. Return power to the people. Return the power to the people. And so the political parties, you know, the party bosses in the smoke-filled back rooms got together and said, I've got bad news. The people no longer want uh, back rooms smoke-filled with big, fat white guys with vests and gold chains making the decisions they think ought to be theirs. So... Before we leave here tonight, we have to decide how we trick them into thinking we're not doing that anymore. Uh, and, and so they came up with the idea of the superdelegates, delegates and superdelegates, which, as you know, are essentially like a grand jury. There's no real answer on how you get to be one. Um, the practical answer of how you get to be one, uh, a delegate, is you volunteer you work really hard over a number of months or years, and your county chairman of the Republican Party is handed a list and says, you know, three or four of these people ought to be considered to be picked as a delegate. It's like a gift, you know, for service rendered. And a super delegate, or you could be the wife or the husband of someone important, of a donor. That's a, a surer way to get on, of course. And a super delegate is kind of the, same thing I just said, only super. If you give a substantial amount of money, if you you know own a car dealership and you give the cars for the turnout the vote thing every year, you know forty automobiles or something, then maybe you get to be a super delegate, or maybe you've been a delegate for several years and you finally get bumped up to super delegate. It almost always has to do rock with money, and so it's kind of like a being you know a grand jury member, and they party bosses keep those you know delegates super delegates in their vest pocket and pockets and use them to uh you know determine the outcome pretty much yeah the the delegates the delegates part really doesn't bother me at all i understand that and, and that really makes sense it's the super delegates the delegates that seem to get pretty sketchy there because yeah you know like no absolutely Sanders just Blew away, just blew away that uh, primary out there in New, <clears throat> New Hampshire, <clears throat> and then uh, basically uh, Hillary and him ended up being uh, pretty much tied as far as the delegates. Once Hillary got all the super delegates, and somebody earlier mentioned about uh, Debbie Blabbermouth Schultz with her. Uh, her interview with Jake Tapper. By the way, I sent that out to uh, your address, your uh, Twitter address, and uh, the best. Excellent. I look forward to seeing it later. Yeah, it's awesome. You got to see it because when Jake first asked the question, you can see you can see Debbie's face like deer in the headlights. She just she's like, <laughs> oh my gosh. And and at first she's like back, you know, doing the backstroke, and she's talking about you know what's basically kind of what you were saying, 
and it's and it's like you know this is what delegates are and this is what super delegates are. But then, and this is from the Blaze, and, and sorry for reading here, but I want to get it verbatim. So Debbie says, unpledged delegates exist really to make sure that the party leaders and the elected officials don't have to be in a position where they're running against the grassroots activists. Wasserman Schultz said by adding that the Democratic Party, party highlights inclusiveness and diversity at our convention and wants to give activists every opportunity to participate, which she says that it will be the super delegates. She says that's what the super delegates are for. Well, the way that I read that and the way that she says it is like it's in case the voters, the actual voters, are represented too well, then these super delegates can come, come in there and they can uh, negate their vote. And Well, that's, uh, that's exactly was, right. Plus the other thing, which... I think you insinuate it means, and you're absolutely correct, it does mean that, is that it's a vehicle to satisfy the most ardent activists by victim group within the party. So if you look at the Democrat superdelegate uh, list, good luck finding it, but I, I don't know, maybe yeah. it's published for all I know, but but if you looked at a list of the Democrat superdelegates, you're, you're going to have, it almost is like a parody you know, there it's exactly made up of a group into which you could drop a litmus strip and come out with the appropriate uh, shade of tan uh, in terms of color and in terms of sex. If there was a litmus test, you know, for gender, it would show a rainbow right. when you pulled it out. There was exactly so many gay, so many lesbian, so many LGB, direct TV, AM and FM, BBC, PhD, VD uh, candidates, uh, superdelegates, and so many African Americans, so many Latinos. It's It really is like a super parody. I, I just find the, the election system in so many ways, like you've talked about, um, the audience, what effect that they have on these like debates. Uh. I mean, after all, that popularity that's generated in the debates also comes out to be votes in the primary. I mean, look what happened to Rubio just recently. I mean, it's 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 big. And uh, between the GOP and the DNC and what they control of the rules of delegates and superdelegates, you know, where these things are at and uh, who gets to be in the audience. Uh, and then you get the mainstream media in there. And they set up the questions and rules of the debates and audience right. attendance. And, man, it's just like, how's a voter it's, supposed to matter? It's about, Rocky, it's about it's, as spontaneous as the Rose Bowl parade. Yeah, never been a every <laughs> Every flower is arranged a year ahead of time. And, and, by the way, the Republican Party, I'm not saying is not guilty. They're guilty as sin. But compared to the Democrats, the way the Democrats manipulate this, the Republicans are comparatively an open Socratic democracy. You know, the Democrats control this so tightly that you know nothing's going to happen. That in the end, uh, Jesse Jackson and you know, the Black Congressional Caucus and the AFL-CIO, right, and the you know AFSCME, etc. Uh, or I should say, at all, don't want to happen, won't happen. You know, I was, I was reading in New Hampshire that uh, any candidate that gets underneath 
like 10% of the vote, their delegates then go to the uh, candidate that has the majority of the votes. I mean, that's kind of bizarre, too. It's like, <laughs> like in this, this Un- Unless, of course, bizarre, unless, of course, you consider what their objective is. Which, which is yeah. you, you, the, the way the candidate with the most votes probably got there is with party support. There really doesn't seem to be any standardization. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of appalled. The more that I learn about delegates, delegates that it just, it just doesn't seem yeah, there, like it's There's right. virtually no rule. Uh, people think that they're, I mean, I'm still not sure. It's entirely a party rule. And it may vary from delegation to delegation, state to state, maybe county to county within states, whether or not you are actually bound to the person who won you uh, on the first round of voting at all, or whether it, it, it extinguishes after the first round, or whether it says you have to be committed to them for the first five rounds of voting, if five rounds right. occur. Or whether you can ignore the entire thing and just vote for yeah. whomever you like once you get there because your county boss, the state boss, tells the county bosses, here's who we're, here's who you tell your people to vote for. I spent most of the morning trying to get myself, like, you know, boned up on delegates and superdelegates. And then when you came on and you told me about, uh, what was it, 1,237? 1,237, good for you. That's that's pretty bizarre too. Like, if the first round they don't do it, they're absolutely free to like just dismiss what the voters even want. I mean, is this again, it's run, really it's run by the party. It's run by the party for the party. There's no laws involved here. There's this is nothing statutory. It's all what what the private. You know, these parties are private organizations, and they they. There are no laws involved here. The parties make up whatever they want to make up and do it the way they do it. And, uh, Rocky, I've, I've got a break. Call more frequently. Um, I will try, Jake. We'll, we'll, we'll continue to correspond. And let me say, the one piece of news that you did not break, because I already knew this, when anyone calls me and says, what do you think Rocky's doing this morning? I say, he's probably getting boned up. Jay. Severin on the Blaze Radio Network. This is Jay Severin on the Blaze Radio Network. And partners... I have some uh, very hard news to deliver. I learned it just during this break. And you know the expression, I hate to be the one to have to tell you this. Well, I hate to be the one to have to tell you this. But former, and I say this only because otherwise you'll say what I said. Who? A former Virginia governor, Jim Gilmore has suspended his race for the White House. Yes. No! 
Jim, Jim boy, we hardly knew ye. I mean, we were talking moments ago about what would the debates be without Donald Trump? Some people bring a certain presence and entertainment quotient. Makes me think of Jim Gilmore. Makes me think of Jim Gilmore because he actually proved the theorem of entertainment quotient by being the one that took energy out of the debates the the one time he was there. He actually proved Einstein's theory of addition by subtraction, or no, subtraction by addition. When Jim Gilmore came in the room, it's as if five people got up and left the room. And generally speaking, that is not the sort of personal dynamic that is a, a great recommender for being the leader of the free world. But again, it's Friday evening, and I have to give you bummers, man. Bummers. I have to be the one to give you bummers news like this. Jim Gilmore is out of the race. Now who are you going to vote for? Huh? Now how are you going to act? Now what are you going to do? Now how are you going to represent with Jim Gilmore out of this? I don't know. I, I Sebastian and I were just talking and uh, were reminded that uh, Jim Webb, <clears throat> who I know a little bit, but but I mean, he's come to my home. We've we've supped. We were talking about his campaign. Doesn't mean I know him. Just means I've met him and spent some time with him. And I thought I was familiar, you know, to some degree, with his fundamental thinking and all of that. Spending a few hours with him, talking politics, campaigns. And then I understand that until, what, today or yesterday, he was entertaining the notion of an independent run for president? Of what? President of what? Of the United States? Jim Webb? And this would be based on what? How well he did in the Democrat debates? Or his fundraising, or I, I just I don't. Sometimes I just don't get it, and I, you know, I, you know, I just don't get it. Anyway, I'm a little sorry, and I'm regretful that I I put out knives and forks when he was in my home because there's clearly a large unstable element here if he thought he was going to run as an independent. Uh, Michael Bloomberg of New York kind of is, I think, going to run as an independent. <clears throat> the only reason he can't be ignored is because it's this year and because he has the best pollster political analyst in the world, Doug Schoen, working for him. And, in case I forget this one, he has more money than IBM. He has more money than God. Has more money than Google. So that's always a factor. We are talking American politics. Be with us tomorrow night at 8 o'clock Eastern. This is Jay Severin on the Blaze Radio Network.